Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you. We're in our next conversation about the wilderness, and I'm actually looking pretty forward to this. Loved the kickoff to this last week. If you had a chance to be here or to catch up, it, is, it was so powerful to really wrestle with, do I find myself in the wilderness? Why am I there? What's God doing with me while I'm there? It was so good. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that yet, I want to highly encourage you catch up on that. It's on the app website, all those places. So um, make sure you dial into that. It's been absolutely fantastic. But we're going to kind of continue that conversation. Uh, Pastor Jeff showed us, among other things, like God is helping prepare us oftentimes through the wilderness. He's doing very unique and specific things to help us to grow closer to him, to help us become the people he created us to be, to make us more and more like Christ. And so it's a powerful, powerful time. But we can find ourselves in the wilderness for what seems like all types of reasons. It might be something super personal. It might be something work-related. It might be something emotional or mental. It might be something that we're struggling with in a relationship. We can just find ourselves in these places for a myriad of reasons. I mean, there are some really hard wildernesses. Like, for instance, if you're a Michigan fan, like, that is a wilderness. Am I right? Like, that's just so many Ohio State wins. And the only one here that's in blue, we had an interim head coach, and you still only won by six. I mean, like, that is, wow, just hard. You know, I mean, my heart breaks for you. But you never know, this could be your year. Maybe this is it. I mean, you probably say that every year, but... Maybe, we'll see, I don't know. But what a wilderness to live in, uh, to be stuck as a big blue fan or whatever you call yourselves. Um, and so, but as we're engaging into this conversation as to what does Jesus do, how does he help us navigate these things, um, I just wanna acknowledge that the wilderness feels lonely. Uh, a lot of times when we step into those valleys or we find ourselves in those moments, it seems like we're the only ones that get it, that we're the only ones that understand that no one else seems to realize what we're going through. We question things. We wonder if we're being punished. We wonder if we've been abandoned. We wonder if God is even around and we start asking those types of questions. And again, that's kind of where Jeff helped us understand last week. So dive back into that. Now we've been in Luke chapter four. And so if you have a Bible, with you. Uh, open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to continue right there in this very story. And this weekend, we're going to dive into kind of the other person that's a part of this navigation of Jesus finding himself in the wilderness. We're going to learn some of these lessons. We're going to find some unique things to get into. But Luke chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's page 834 on the chair in the chairs there. So check that out. It's on the app as well. But we're going to dive in here. Verse 1. Jesus, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all or all that time and became very hungry. And then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and to guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. 
Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And so here we find Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is already hungry. He's already tired. He's already feeling very alone. And then the devil shows up. And we don't think very often about the devil. We often are not even sure what to think about the devil. But that's actually what we're going to get into this weekend is the devil and his schemes. How does he work? What is he doing as he addresses Jesus? And what can we learn from that? And so before we can get an understanding of how these things played out, I want to make sure that we kind of understand where we're headed. First, we're going to answer the question, well, who is the devil? Like, how does he even fit into all of this stuff? Uh, The second question we'll ask is, what does he do? Like, if there's a devil, if he's doing what he does, like, well, what is that? How does he interact? What is he trying to accomplish? The third thing we're going to ask is, do I have any blind spots? When it comes to the devil, when it comes to that work of evil in my life, are there things I'm missing? Are there things that I'm not seeing? And then the fourth thing that we're going to wrap up with is, what do I do in light of all of that? So if devil is this and he works like this and I have these blind spots, how do I respond? And we're gonna navigate these things together. So um, it's amazing, I was thinking through like, the people that I know and even how I interact with the concept of the devil, like how do I often find myself kind of in this conversation? And what I've found is that most people uh, have some type of cultural picture and it's almost always either underdone or overdone. And as a matter of fact, I read this quote this week and it says, the challenge usually lies in the extremes. And so there are some Christians who will never talk about Satan and there are others who incessantly talk about him. You know what I mean? In the case of the latter, every time toast burns or something doesn't go their way, Satan's behind it and it's time for an exorcism. Uh, But neither extreme, if being underdone, is particularly helpful. In the same way, and I put this in your notes, the greatest mistake I believe you can make with evil is to overestimate or to underestimate its influence. It doesn't have ultimate power, but it also isn't powerless. Evil is active, and in some way, it's probably influencing us in our thought life, our ministries, our family right now. At least that's what the scriptures claim, and Jesus himself acted as though evil was very real. I fully believe, and I think the scripture leads us to, that we need to take this very seriously. Who is the devil? How does evil impact us? And is it even arbitrary? What do we do with it? Now, as we start to answer the question, who is the devil, I want to ask you guys a couple of questions, okay? Um, What's the opposite of near? Far. Okay, very good. Uh, You guys are on it, okay? So uh, what's the opposite of life? Very good. What's the opposite of winning? Michigan. Right. Uh, So (laughs) uh, what's the opposite of right? It's amazing how very few of you said left. Interesting, okay. Um, You're wrong. (laughs) Okay, so um, let me ask you this question. What's the opposite of God? Excellent answer. Now, many of us might have been tempted to say the devil. Well, the devil is anti-God. He's the opposite of God. He's the yin to God's yang, right? But that is not true. 
There is no equal and there is no anti-equal to who God is. Satan is comparable to being a mosquito that's annoying on a summer night. He'll bug you. There may be a slight effect, but at the end of the day, God just swats him and says, I'm God. I am not the equal of Satan. He is a created being. There is nothing that thwarts God. A lot of times when we think of Satan, we think on these extremes. On one hand, we think of Satan as being like in an equal battle with God, that he is just messing with everything Jesus is trying to do. And we read the end of the good book and we saw that God wins and whoo, it's a good thing that he scraped by and finally got that victory. Some of us read that type of power into Satan. On the flip side, sometimes we see Satan as being really kind of comical. We see him in a cartoon sense, or we see him as the butt of a joke or a part of a comedy sketch, or we see some kind of like baby dressed up for Halloween. We're like, isn't that costume cute? Oh, just look at that little devil. I mean, like, do we hear ourselves, you know? Or we see it as some type of TV show where like, you know, some good looking guy and that's Lucifer and he's doing it. Like we, we put God, or excuse me, we put Satan into this bubble of like, he's not that big of a deal. We make jokes of it. We put him in Halloween. And when we start to see these cultural images, it's no wonder then that many of us don't think about, is he even affecting this? Could he have any effects with us? Because these images, they don't seem that dangerous. If some little baby ran up to you and said, I'm Satan, you're like, ha, 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 right? If some cartoon looking like this, you're like, no, that's not a big deal. And we start to make fun of the whole concept. We tell jokes, there's comic strips, there's all these different things, but we're underdoing who Satan is. And the scripture gives us a much clearer viewpoint. So Jesus himself actually says in John chapter 10, that the thief, this is the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. The devil is not trying to just pull tricks on you. The devil is not just trying to mess things up. He's not trying to pull pranks. The devil is trying to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. He is actively looking for a way to pull your life out from underneath of you. Peter later says in the scripture that you should be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's not messing around. Satan's just not trying to get you to think about something bad or say a curse word from time to time. He's looking to destroy the very fabric of who you are. The Bible in different passages shows us different names and different characteristics and almost builds this mosaic of who Satan is. It calls him the adversary, the slanderer, calls him the accuser, the tempter, the father of lies, murderer, destroyer. And other than also sounding a lot like Facebook, uh, Satan has all of these descriptors about who he is that becomes incredibly destructive. He's trying to pull you down. He's trying to come at you. He hates you. Now, if you're interested in figuring out more and more about how the scripture shows, where did he come from? How did he become who he is? I want you to write down two passages that we're not gonna get into deeply tonight, but will be very helpful. One is Isaiah 14 and the other is Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, you should read it. But I'll give you a quick summary Lucifer 
was a created angel by God, a part of his angelic host, okay, a part of his angelic beings. But Lucifer became proud, okay? And Ezekiel chapter 28 even says this, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer became so impressed with himself, so impressed with his own beauty, his own intelligence, his own power, his own position, that he began to desire the glory and the honor that belonged to God alone. And that sin corrupted him and it became this self-generated pride and a drive and engine to go after God himself. And because of this this heinous sin, Lucifer was banished from living in heaven He became corrupt and his name was changed from Lucifer, which means morning star, to Satan, which means the adversary. Now this word is incredibly important for us because as we try to think about, well, what is the devil doing? Adversary is a great word. An adversary hates you. He doesn't just dislike you. He doesn't wanna just see if he can trip you up from time to time. He hates you. He despises you. He wants your life to be completely destroyed, your relationships to be torn apart, for your motives to become evil and for your life to give dishonor to who God is. And seeing Satan for that which he is is incredibly important. Because if we just see him as someone that's out there somewhere doing some type of evil, we start to ignore him. We're like, yeah, he's just out there doing some things from time to time. But if we know that we have an adversary, someone who hates us, an enemy that is coming after us, we're gonna deal with that very differently. And when that enemy presents himself and says things like, hey, I have a great idea for you. I have a thought on what we could do today you're gonna look at that adversary with a complete lack of trust. You're gonna assume that there's some type of angle. You're gonna assume that there's some kind of catch. You're like, no, you are my enemy. There's no way you're coming up to me with no strings attached trying to give me an idea of what I should do with my life because you know he's an adversary. That was one of the things that helped Jesus in his moment in the wilderness as he knew who he was dealing with. He knew what he was about. He knew what his character was. He knew what he was trying to do. And knowing that from the onset helps us prepare for what he does. And that becomes our second question that we're gonna get into this weekend is what does the devil do? And we're gonna take a look at his interaction with Jesus in this passage and try to pull out, well, how does he potentially do that even today? So back in verse three in Luke chapter four, the devil said to him, if you were the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. You see, the first thing that Satan does and he tries to mess with us is he tries to offer us a pathway. You see, Jesus wanted something. You gotta remember, Jesus is in the desert. He's been there for multiple weeks. He's very hungry. And so Satan tries to offer him a pathway. Oh, 
You have this desire. You have this thing that you want. Let me show you how you can get it. Let me show you a pathway that you can go down to get some of the things that you think you want. Now, we know, not only because Jesus is Jesus, not only because we've had an opportunity to read ahead, and not only because we've had the opportunity to listen to last week's message, that Jesus knew what he needed. He wasn't distracted simply by what he wanted. He knew he needed to have faith in God, no matter how much he wanted to potentially do what Satan was trying to egg him on. You see, he offers that pathway, but it's apart from God. He offers a different path. Why don't you come over here? Let me show you something a little bit different. Let me show you something that when you feel a little bit alone, when you feel maybe a little scared, when you're feeling hungry, the adversary is gonna come up to you and say, well, look what God did. I mean, he left you here. You're here in the wilderness. Is this where you wanna be? Let me show you this pathway. Let me show you this way to step out of this situation and come on over here and I'll show you what this could actually look like. Again, Jesus didn't need bread. He needed time with God. He needed that strong faith that God was walking him through this wilderness to the other side. So let's uncover those temptations that that Satan is bringing out. Now, here's a bonus, all right? This, this next piece is free of charge, all right? Let's go back to those verses. Notice what Satan does here. He tells Jesus, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. I want you to notice here that Satan didn't offer Jesus bread. Satan didn't say, here's what you need to not be hungry anymore. Jesus didn't have someone show up and say, here's the bread that you've been looking for. You see, Satan's greatest power is influence. Satan told Jesus, you do this. You take that step off the path. You come over here. Jesus wasn't kidnapped by Satan. Jesus wasn't dragged down a different pathway. Satan was trying to entice him to make the decision for himself. Just come over here. Just come right over here and you do this thing and then you won't have to worry about it anymore. Again, Satan's greatest power is influence. He's trying to get us to do something different. Now the passage continues. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice a pattern here between both of these temptations. The devil is actually using and twisting God's words. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan knows the truth about God. And he's trying to get us to question every last bit of it. Did God really say this? Is this what God really meant? Because Satan knew that the son of God, that the Messiah would one day be the king of kings and in charge of everything and have all authority. And Satan was trying to say, what if I give you this right now? What if I give you that status? 
What if I give you that notoriety? What if I show you what it means to make a name for yourself? You see, Satan offers us influence. He offers us power. And he acknowledged that Jesus had it. And he's going to build us up too from time to time. I mean, you're really smart. You're the only person that thinks about that way with what God said there in the scripture. You're smarter than all of those people that have ever studied the Bible. You are very good looking. You can probably use your looks to your advantage. You can probably get people's attention. You know what? Because if you do this, people will notice you more. If you just do this, you can get more clicks. You can get more followers online. If you dress like this, people will notice you because, I mean, gosh, if you got it, flaunt it. People will notice if you talk like this, you'll be more included. And people will start to think, well, maybe I like to get around. I like that person. You know what? Go ahead and do business like this because it's gonna get you more influence. It's gonna speed up your career. It's gonna get you everything you wanted even faster. All you have to do is cut this corner and look how it's gonna take off. I'm gonna build your status. I'm gonna give you influence over other people. All you have to do is bend the knee. All you have to do is give yourself to me. I'll offer you status. Just give up your integrity. I know you always wanted to be honest in your business dealings, but that's not how the world works. I know you wanna remain faithful to your spouse, but come on, you have needs. They're gonna understand, your buddies are gonna understand. Your girlfriends are going to understand. Just, just do it. And he offers this other pathway to a place of status. But all we have to do is give up on the very person that we, in our heart of hearts, want to become. The devil goes again. He says, then the devil took him up to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Notice once again, Satan twisted God's words. He offers control. Take the matters into your own hands. You take the step. You take the reins. You handle the situation. You fix yourself. You rid yourself of your own sin. You step up and take care of everything. You see, when I'm in the wilderness and I'm alone, the devil is gonna tempt me with control. That if I could just rule this, if I could just run the world for a day, if I could just get everyone to think like me, if I could just get everyone to do this the way that I would do, if people would just drive like I do, the roads would be amazing, right? If people would just, if I could run this country, you know what I would do? If I could run this town, if I could, if my boss, I mean, do you understand how dumb my boss is? No, really, you know who my boss is? I'm telling you, it's the worst. Just kidding, uh, sorry, Jeff. Okay, but like, if my boss would just get out of the way, I could handle everything. I can take control. I can do it. I can lead it. 
And the devil is consistently stepping in saying, right, let me show you what it looks like. You, you see, Jesus was going to be exalted. Jesus is going to be hung on a cross and die for our sins and be exalted again by being resurrected from the dead to be alive after he's experienced death, to be exalted to the right hand of the Father and to be the King of Kings. And Satan said, just do it now. Just show the world who you are now. Just take control and show them how powerful you are. All you have to do is give up your relationship with your Father. All you have to do is not trust him and not trust his timing. You see, it's so tempting to always want to be in control, but oftentimes when we're tempted to do that, it's at the cost of a relationship. I know, God, you're calling me down this pathway, but I'm pretty sure I know better. I really would love to get closer to you, God, but I'm not going to prioritize that stuff that you're so obviously putting in front of me. I'll figure it out on my own. I'll do it myself. I'm gonna forsake my relationship with you, God, and I'll do it on my own terms. You see, if I'm gonna figure out how to meet my own needs and to carve my own path with my relationship, all I have to do is forget that my wife will be absolutely devastated with these decisions and I can take control and I can do whatever I want then, just at the cost of the relationship. All I have to do is forget how much my parents love me, no matter what their imperfections. The moment I'm like, wait a minute, they don't even love me, they don't even care about me, well suddenly I can take control and do whatever I want. They don't get it, they're old boomers. Like all I have to do is step over here and see I, I know what I'm doing, I'll handle this. All we have to do is forget that that mentor or that pastor or that coach has invested in us, poured into us, sacrificed for us. The moment we forget about that relationship, I can ignore their advice and do what I want to do. They don't understand me. They don't know what I'm going through. It's all about me. And the fact that that starts to make so much sense is because it's easy for the enemy to get in our heads and start to offer us this pathway of control as long as we're willing to blow up our relationships. You see, Satan works through these strategies where he's offering us a pathway that's just a part of from God. He offers us this status of look how many people can recognize who we are just at the cost of our integrity. And he offers us control to take the reins, but at the cost of our relationship. You see, whether Satan is trying to confuse us or whether he's trying to deceive us, whether he's trying to distract us or accuse us, He's perpetuating this mindset. He's pushing your buttons. He's asking the questions. He's trying to get you to doubt the faithfulness of God. He's trying to get you to run down your own path. He's trying to destroy your life. I remember um, when I was in high school, I played football and um, I remember I had, I'm the oldest of four siblings. I got two younger brothers, six and seven years younger than me and I have a sister who's 13 years younger than I am. 
And so when I was in high school, I was always the last one to get picked up from something in my family, which often equaled being one of the last ones, if not the last one to be picked up from my team, uh, to the point where it was a relatively regular thing for my football coach to be walking out of the stadium and saying, like, Joe, are you sure you don't need a ride? Like, yeah, yep, mom's on her way. And it would often feel a little bit like a mini wilderness, right? I mean, like all my other friends got rides home. I guess their parents love them, um, you know. And I mean, even the coach offered me a ride home, but no, 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 I'll stay here in the dark and the cold by myself, you know. And you kind of have these momentary things and these thoughts of being in a wilderness yourself. But mom and I agreed, and she always showed up. I'll be there to pick you up and take you home. Now, I can carve my own pathway. It was only about a half hour walk. I'm a football player. I can walk for a half hour. It's not a problem. I'll just walk home through whatever neighborhoods, you know, walking down the dark streets. But I don't want to do that to the streets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not dangerous for me. Uh, it's terrible. Okay. Uh, but like, you know, or I could just get a ride home with the coach. You know, no big deal. I end up home. Because, you know, this was a long time ago before every teenager had a cell phone. I couldn't just text my mom and say, hey, I got a ride. Hey, I walked home. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't make a quick phone call. So at a minimum, at a minimum, there was going to be some confusion. My mom's like, wait, where's my son? I thought we were supposed to be here. I'm not really sure where to go. Did he go home? Is he just in the stadium? I'll wait here. For There's going to be some confusion at a minimum. Or at a maximum, something terrible happened. I get picked up on the way home. My coach isn't who we thought he was, something terrible. At a maximum, it could be absolutely awful. But it all started with the fact that I chose to go down my own pathway. It all started with the fact that I'll just take control of this situation. I'm not leaning into the trustworthy relationship that I had with my mother. No, I'll handle this, I'll figure it out. I got this, mom. And something, even if minimal, something bad is gonna happen. You see, God is trying to help us to understand that when I pull you through the wilderness, you can trust me. I'm there on the other side to grow you, to mature you, to make you more like me and to make you more and more strong, mature and all these different things. I'm there, you can trust me. But if we take matters in our own hands, we get ourselves into trouble. Now, most of the time, we can't see these things. If we understood that Satan was coming at us all the time as our adversary, we'd be very, very good at fighting off temptation. But there might be some blind spots in our life. I know as I was processing this this week, I had quite a few things to pray about, write down, and start to figure out a pathway forward. But I wanna ask these three questions. First of all, am I trying to do this on my own? Am I trying to step up and be the strong one all the time? Am I trying to fix this on my own? You know, I've had a porn problem for a long time. I can fix it though. I know when I can stop. I know, I, I know, I, I, I can make this happen. I, I'll do it, I'll handle it. I mean, like, it's only a few drinks, but I'll stop, I'm just young. Are there places where we're trying to do things on our own instead of leaning into our relationship with God? The second question we need to ask ourselves, and I actually think this is the big one, when am I tempted to let my integrity slip? 
I used to have this quote that hung on my wall in college. It said, character is who you are in the dark. We can do good things when people are watching, but when you have the opportunity to get away with something, what are you going to do? No one knows if I click on that. No one knows if I fudge the numbers a little bit. I'm the one that oversees the books. No one knows that I figured out a way to cheat on this paper, so I'm just going to do it. It's going to be a lot easier. I'll get a better grade anyway. I'm on a business trip. I'm by myself. What are you talking about? I'm, no one knows what I'm doing. I'm by myself. Where are we tempted to let our integrity slip? The third question I have is when am I most likely to try to take control? When do I want to take the reins? Step in and, no, 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 I know you're figuring this out, but I got it, I'm good. You step in and say, God, I know that you're trying to develop this in me, but I'm just gonna do it my own way. I know that multiple mentors have encouraged me to go down this path and man, it seems like your scriptures are kind of pointing this out, but I'm pretty sure in 2021, that's not how this works, so I'm just gonna do it my way. I know, I know, I know, uh, honey, I know that you're trying to encourage me, but I'm gonna do me. This is how I roll. When are we most likely to try to take control? You see, in all of these things, it's amazing how much we try to tell ourselves that we're not affected by other people. It's amazing how much we try to tell ourselves that there's no way that other people sin or that temptation has a hold on us. But that same pride is what led Lucifer to become Satan in the first place. Do you see how awesome I am? I got this. I can handle this. I don't need to depend on God. I don't need other people to lift me up. Are you kidding me? I'm me. Watch me. And it's that same mindset that Satan uses the most. It's amazing to me how in light of these questions, when being around other people causes us to do things we'd never do on our own. I still remember a couple of my first college visits. I wasn't really a partier. It just wasn't who I was. I was trying to keep it on the straight and narrow, whatever that meant. I wasn't even following Jesus at the time yet. But I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm here for football. I'm here to figure out my career path. I'm here for all these things. And I show up on campus and all of a sudden I'm in a house with a bunch of future code work or code teammates and all these kind of things. And all of a sudden they hand me a cup and all of a sudden I'm doing things that I never planned on doing. It's amazing how being around other people, you know, I try to be a nice person. I try to be a light. But then we start reading through comment threads on our social media platform of choice and suddenly you blankety blank blank, you idiot, you this, that, and the other. I can't believe you when you're absolutely moron and the world would be better without people like you. And it's amazing how when we get in the cycle of being around other people, how much suddenly our demeanors, we're tempted to step aside and do it our way. It's amazing how sometimes we can watch things like injustice 
we can watch things that get us angry and then we are, might even be a good thing. It might even be something like, yeah, this makes God angry. This is a bad thing. And it then leads us down a path of responding unjustly. And we tear people's dignity out and we tear people's hearts out and we put them down as if they're not actually human, if they're, as if they're not actually loved by God simply because they've done something that, I mean, we've done wrong things too, but there's what they did. That's, that's awful. And they deserve my wrath. And suddenly we find ourselves stepping into the temptation and sinning as well. It's amazing how we have no intention to talk certain ways and then we find ourselves in certain circles at work or school or with friends and suddenly we find ourselves using certain jokes, using certain words, <clears throat> talking about certain things we had no intention of talking about. It's amazing how we have stances on certain things of character I don't want these things to be a part of our culture. I don't want these things to be a part of my life. But we watch TV shows and movies filled with them. I've always thought to myself, if I want to see the character of my movie and TV choices, how fast am I willing to let my kid watch them with me? If my kid can't watch all of the TV for years and years and years that I'm trying to watch, then maybe that should tell me something. Oh, I mean, I would never do that. I mean, I would never, but we just fill ourselves with these things and we act like peer pressure is not a thing. I would never watch that series. And then all of your friends start talking about it. Well, I mean, I guess if that TV's that good. I mean, I guess, it, I guess if it's the best show ever, I don't want to miss out on that. I mean, who needs integrity and character and who needs to actually live their life on purpose? I need to watch TV. This is like the most important thing I could ever do with my life. I can't be the one who hasn't watched that before. And we say it out loud, we're like, this makes no sense. But in real time, it's like, click. But oftentimes, we're the person that finds ourselves in those scenarios and we're still the one that says, well, sin doesn't affect me. I'm not tempted by those things. It's hard. And then we find ourselves in the wilderness and the temptations feel even stronger because now it's not just these things that make sense, but I am hungry and I am lonely. And I am misunderstood. And wow, this stuff looks really, really tempting. Now I have good news. Because it feels bleak. And that's on purpose. Because I'll reflect something we talked about earlier. Satan hates you. It is bleak when it comes from him. It is evil. He is trying to destroy you. He is trying to take you down. He is trying to drive a wedge between any and all healthy relationships. He is trying to destroy your character. He is out to get you. He is trying to desensitize you to everything that is evil so that you give into more of it. And he's trying to get you bored with things that are good so that you stay away from it. He is trying to destroy us. Ah, oh, but I love the message of Christ because there's good 
news. What do I do in light of all this? What do I do with the fact that Satan's coming after me? What do I do with the fact that my life is a mess? That the temptations seem to win over and over and over again. Jesus shows us the way. Every time the devil came at him, he leaned into his relationship with his heavenly father. He went back to God. He went back to his relationship. He went back to the foundation. He said, this is what God says. I will trust in that. Jesus' brother makes it very clear later in the scripture when he says this. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. It's, it's that simple. No, it's not. Submit to God. Okay, God, this is what you want from my life. This is what you want of me. This is who you're creating to me. This is the character you're trying to build up in me. This is the faithfulness you're trying to establish in my life. This is the example that you're trying to produce in me. This is the life that you're trying to give me. I'm submitting to you. I'm giving myself to you. I'm gonna stay in your pathway. I'm going to live by what you say about me, who you say I am, not the status that Satan's trying to build me up to have. I'm gonna let you stay in control. I trust you. And then resisting the devil is simple because in light of who God is, in light of who he says I am, in light of our relationship, I can resist. And then the devil flees. He runs. You see, the devil is an incredibly smooth-talking, wise, and cunning paper tiger. He's got claws, he's got teeth, he's got a roar, but he's just paper. He's got no power over God, none. And when we lean into him, he's got nothing against us. He's all threats, he's all talk, but when you resist, he flees. You call his bluff. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, you're a liar, you're trying to deceive me, you're accusing me, you're trying to veer me off the path. I see what you're doing, I trust in God, get out of here. And see, if you are a follower of Christ, this is awesome. Because when you give your life to Christ, you're saying, I want you in the driver's seat. I want you in control. And he gives you his spirit to help you begin to discern when these things are going on, to give you the power that you need to understand these circumstances and to be able to flee from these temptations, to be able to stand firm in who you are and whose you are. And as these temptations come your way and Jesus continues to build you up, even if you're in the wilderness, you're made with more endurance, more perseverance, more hope, more character. And you look more and more like him. If you don't yet follow Jesus, you've probably heard plenty of people to say you need to follow Christ because that's the only way to get to heaven. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm not even really sure if there is a heaven and hell. 
I'm not even really sure that is what this is all about. And this guy's talking about the devil. Give me a break. I'm not talking about three pronged pitchforks running around. I'm not talking about some red guy with horns. I'm talking about, you know, in your heart of hearts, this is how temptation works. You know, in your heart of hearts, when you're trying to do the right thing, it seems like you're being bombarded with all of these thoughts and all of this weight. Where's that coming from? It's the work of the enemy. And we can't fight it on our own. We can't. Listen, Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven. Jesus is a day by day, a moment by moment Lord and Savior that pulls us out of our own weaknesses, that overcomes our sin, and that shows us a pathway of life forward. He overcomes our sin. He overcomes the temptation. He's done it as a man, and he's certainly done it as God, and he's showing us a pathway forward. We just give ourselves to him. We just submit ourselves then to God then we can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus gives life. And when you find yourself in a wilderness that is bombarded with temptation, there's only one way to turn. There's only one way to turn. Maybe tonight, Maybe this weekend is the weekend that your life turns upside down and suddenly you find yourselves in the arms of your Savior. Suddenly you find yourself empowered by God's Spirit to actually navigate all of the weight and all of the temptation that continues to come your way. Maybe now is the time. Maybe now is when we go from death to life. And then we get to submit to God and watch Him work. changes us, he leads us right through the wilderness to the other side, the place where he always promised he'd meet us. I don't know where you're at tonight with your temptation, but I know God is there to meet you. Will you go to him? Let's pray together. Father, This isn't arbitrary. This isn't something we just want to blow off. Lord, we need help taking this seriously. To see beyond the cultural whims that say this Satan's not a big deal. But Lord, to trust in your grace and your power and to go to you and say, I need you. I'm submitting myself to you no matter the weight of my temptation, no matter the weight of my addiction, no matter the weight of my sin, you can set me free. Help us, Jesus, to lean into you and show us our blind spots so we can resist the work of our enemy. Lead us, Jesus, help us. In your name we pray.